0: Welcome to the Brother 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 podcast, where three brothers from three different generations talk about their one shared passion: music. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here with my brother, Jeremy Sartori. Today, we're going back to the 80s to talk about REM and you too. You can now listen to episodes on our brand new Brother Pod app, which also gives you access to additional new music, music news, clips, and content that we curate for each episode. It's also a place where you can interact with us directly through the talkback feature. Ask us questions, make suggestions, and voice your own opinions. Just search BrotherPod in the App Store to download on your mobile device. As always, you can learn more about the pod at BrotherPod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Now, let's go back in time and talk about REM and U2 when they were the pillars of the Earth.
1: about a long, long time ago when two bands ruled the earth, R.E.M. and U2? Well,
0: you go way back to the days before MTV and before satellite radio and before the internet and even before Christian. <laughs> and uh, there were two monolithic bands, but they didn't start that way. Uh, you know, there were sort of uh, two bands that rose to prominence Around the same time, they sort of circled each other. Nobody could have predicted they would have been two of the biggest bands in the world. And, and basically, uh, U2 came out of Dublin, Ireland. It was a four-piece, as everybody knows, led by Bono and The Edge, Larry Mullen, Adam Clayton. And they put out an album called Boy in 1980. REM, on the other hand, came out of Athens, Georgia. Put out Chronic Town, E.P. in '82. Murmur in 83, and basically we're heralded as the architects now in retrospect of college radio, but nobody could have predicted when they were listening to Chronic Town and Murmur that REM was going to be playing football stadiums, and nobody would have guessed when U2 played boy despite pretty noticeable or notable ambition that U2 would have been playing stadiums well into the next millennium. So it's, it's kind of a... a that was a very, uh, a very silly kind of stilted and um, unnecessarily, uh, unnecessarily rigid Bill Curtis kind of ANE kind of uh, intro. I mean, at least for us. But it, I did want to go back, and uh, we we have the luxury of of having kicked Christian to the curb this week um, to talk about. Uh, a time when REM a band that he is has
1: uh, gone on record on the pod many times talking about how, how sucky they are, <clears throat> and uh, but and we may agree with him with the second half of their career, but definitely not the first half.
0: Yeah, there was a time when like this was uh, kind of our music. I mean, this yeah. was if you grew up in the '70s and into the late '80s. I mean, I was I mean into the early '80s. I was um, you know nine years old when. Uh, when um, Boy came out, and I remember hearing I Will Follow and thinking it was a great rock song. I also remember at the time, you know, you were talking about, you know, there was a large-scale debate, you know, even two years after that, around the time of war, who was going to be bigger? Was it going to be U2 or Simple Minds or The Alarm
1: or Big Country
0: (laughs) or Aztec Camera or, you know, all these bands that were sort of, uh, you know, floating around? I mean, The Clash hadn't broken up yet, and so they were the only band that mattered, and there wasn't, um, you know, there wasn't really a a lane at that particular moment for a politically charged um, stadium band, arena rock band, whatever you 2 ultimately became. You know, there was Leather yeah, I mean, Boy and the Go Go's, and and
1: rock at that time had really become, or at least popular rock at that time had really become sort of the the fluff, right? The baby boomers had morphed into just sort of money-making machines. Journey. Yeah, age, exactly. Uh, you know, like really bad shit. Yeah. and yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I like, you know, it's probably songs from all, all of those artists or they're nostalgic at the very least, but you had, you know, because I, I think the big difference with these two bands too, yeah. and, you know, I've talked before, I think that they really chartered kind of a lot of the music we listen to today as far as sort of indie rock goes. Certainly R.E.M. in, in the America um, you know, there was, I guess, you know, they got lumped into that sort of post-punk new wave scene, but I don't think either band captures that sound at all. Um, maybe aesthetically with you 2 a little bit early on, and because they came out with that new wave of, of British bands, some of which you just mentioned, but R.E.M. was sort of a creature unto itself, completely.
0: It was a pretty, a weird anomaly. They were sort of a Rickenbacker band, which takes, makes them sort of, uh, you know, uh, in in the same brotherhood as like Tom Petty or, or Roger McGuinn and, and the birds, but they weren't, they didn't really sound like anybody. Their sound was unique for, at the time. Um, doesn't feel very challenging necessarily now because it's a sort of jangle pop, but they kind of invented it. I mean, it was them and the Feelies and a couple of other American bands that have, you know, long since, you know, fallen by the wayside bands like you know, the Long Riders, and the Del Fuego's came out a few le- years later, and, and, you know, those bands were sort of something of, you know, somewhat akin to each other. I mean, the Violent Femmes basically came out the same year as R.E.M., but R.E.M. And you would
1: have thought the Violent Femmes would have been the biggest thing post that album, you know, where an R.E.M. can, like, chugged along. I may know. have declared them
0: to be <laughs> at the time, but, it, it, um, you know, the thing about R.E.M. was they had this very strange aesthetic. Now, they weren't a... Um, they were a band that, that didn't do a lot of publicity photos. So you didn't really know what they looked like.
1: They were um, self conscious. At least appear- Michael Stipe was self conscious. They should have know. been. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, there were there were four guys that. that- you know, none of them was a looker. You know, there was there was no lookers. There was no Bono in this band. There no. was, you know, I mean, Michael Stipe was frightened to death of, of having his picture taken, it seemed like. Um, Peter Buck was the de facto, or the default front man, really. Um, Mike Mills did a lot of the talking, if they ever got interviewed. Michael Stipe just kind of hid behind his hair. And, you know, on, on, on part of that, you know, sort of a carryover of that aesthetic of, of sort of hiding and being you know, insular and, and difficult to reach. You, nobody could understand a word the guy said. Yeah. So the first three albums essentially are, you know, yeah, I'm sure they're well written, Bumblecore. but I take your word
1: for it. You well, know. let's talk REM quickly. Let's kind of navigate their their early career, which I know you and bo- I are both fond of. Let's navigate U 2s early career, and then we'll talk about the decline of. Uh, Well, and we'll we'll talk about was there a decline and what if there was, what that decline was. But, um, you know, so, like, I came to R.E.M. probably through you and and our older sister, actually, uh, Lisa, who was a huge R.E.M. fan. And, you know, the time I sort of tuned into them was probably around some of the later albums, like Green and Document, those albums that that we'll talk about in a little bit. But going back to R.E.M., you know, I, I found it to be, like, a really rich... Catalog. I mean, those first four albums to me are, are kind of a blueprint of stuff that I ended up really loving. You know, uh, I think Pavement was very influenced by them. I think, to your point, like a lot of the jangle pop that we listen to today was really influenced by them. And I also am always just a sucker for time and place band. So to me, you know, a song like Radio for Europe, which you said, is not necessarily the most challenging. But in 1982 or 1983 when that came out... There's just nothing that sounded like that, and and two, it was not you know it wasn't aggressive, it wasn't um, overly sugar-coated pop, it wasn't overly dark, you know it was just sort of like a, a, a great kind of you know chugging um, pop song, or I guess or just rock song, whatever you want to call it, but they they kind of like did, redefined. College rock in a weird way. I feel well, they like. defined it. Yeah, right? I mean, they didn't.
0: I mean, it was funny. They were con- their contemporaries out of Athens, which you know became the first right. of those B-50s. '80s, uh, you know, sort of geogra- geographical hotspots. Um, you know, you had B52s and Pylon, and um, you know, later on, uh, some other. Um, notable acts but you know uh, B-52s were a a southern party band and and R.E.M. was a southern party band you know they toured there's a very colleges yeah there's a very like um, well-worn track through southeastern colleges you know that you go from you know Clemson to Carolina to Virginia and back down through W&L you know it's it's if you went to school down there or if you you know anybody of a certain age you know they sort of knew that track I mean it was uh you know later on it sort of became anybody who you've ever met who's a widespread panic fan <laughs> is from okay. there you know is, um but but i am kind of blazed that trail there was a, a handful of bands that um the veld out of raleigh north carolina the canals um bands like that that you know um had less of a, a massive career but there was um you know it, it essentially you know sort of morphed into the jam band circuit yeah. really um but what it was at the time was, you know, young college kids, um, and people danced to REM. It's hard to believe, but Southern people do, uh, <laughs> do, a, certain, do a particular dance called shagging, and uh, not to be confused with an English version of, And um, but it was like a, a, you know, just sort of jumping up and down and, and enthusiastic dancing, and you could do it to the B-52s, and you could do it to Definitely REM, B-52s, and yeah. do it it's to, hard time to fans, it around, but yeah, yeah. no, but you could do it, and and. You know they made their they made their bones on that, and then you know add to that mix. Um, you know it's hard to believe that you know this is a contemporary of of X and you know some of the other bands that we talk about a lot. But REM <clears throat> <laughs> became critics' darlings. That's what I was going
1: to say. So I mean, you have Chronic Town with EP, which uh, Guardian of Night was yeah. their first single. Well, Guardian of Night is a pretty impressive first single. Yeah. Then murmur, then uh, reckoning, right?
0: Um, and reckoning was a major step forward. It had mm-hmm. a little bit more southern
1: tinge to it. Yep. Um, and then the joke song "Don't Go Back to Rockville," which is actually a great, it's not know, yeah, country. I mean, I mean, to them it was at the time, but like, but yeah,
0: you had you know, you went from murmur, which had you know, uh, pilgrimage and and um, you know, perfect circle and radio, radio, radio up uh which was the, the lead single off that album, and then in very short order, I mean, again, this is a band, and we'll do a chronology a little bit later, but this is a band that put out an album a year for... On know, IRS. Seven years, yeah. and IRS had a certain cachet. It was a British label run by the Copeland, or um, the eldest Copeland brother who, you know, had grown up in London but was American. Miles, Co- I mean, Miles Copeland is his name, and um, Stuart Copeland's older brother. Drummer of the Police, yeah, drummer of the Police, and he signed. You know, he had great taste in music. He signed that you know over in the UK, he signed the English Beat among others, and then over here the IRS bands were. Um, God, uh, REM was on IRS, and and um, I know I'm, now I'm trying to think. You about need that. more, yeah. <laughs> he so, signed REM. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, but um, and uh, so that you know that they had a good. You know, there was a lineage to to identifying with a certain record label back then. There was a, you know, it was an identifier for fans who weren't weren't hearing the music before they had to buy it.
1: And we've talked about that before, pre being able to sort of look up everything. You did look at labels. You looked at SST. You looked at 4AD. You looked at, you know, IRS, Sire um, as kind of a benchmark. I mean, I I do recall like, you know, kind of watching shows like 120 minutes on, on MTV And having, you know, videos of R.E.M. be really different as well. So, I mean, I think, like, there was just something fundamentally different about, like, the rocks. I mean, as we'll get into, like, these guys became rock stars, but were so anti-rock star. And not I don't know that they were trying to be anti-rock star? I mean, you tell me. You were around back then. Were they big in Europe, or was it like a... they were? They were...
0: They built and built, and it was one of the... You know, it was back in the time... It was like a working band, When you right? could work... You know, when you toured extensively, you opened for bigger bands. Um, you became popular through that route. It was word of mouth, and in this case, you know, it was extensive touring on the college circuit, and they became... You know, they became... Everybody who went to colleges back then it became their band. Right. You know? So it was like you educated. Own, you have an ownership of, yeah. of a band who you see yeah. all the time, who you sort of feel like you know and you discovered and you brought to market. Right. And and then you get to that point where, and this is, you know, this was the original, you know, sort of notion of, of selling out. You know, the band gets too big and you're still kind of holding on to this this ownership
1: stake. Yuck. And you're like, they It's actually an f- interesting... Like nugget, Because, I mean, does that happen anymore? You know what I mean? Like, that happened a lot to us, right? I mean, Dinosaur Jr., R.E.M., yeah. um, Pixies put out their, like, you know, sort of major label, and you're just like, ugh, you know, yeah. you're just... And it doesn't sound the same. It didn't... It replacements. Didn't. I mean, yeah, replacements, exactly. Don't tell a soul, you know, is sort of like a, a travesty compared to some of the other stuff. Does it know.
0: still happen? <clears throat> I think, to a lesser degree, I mean, there's people who probably hold dear something like arcade fire or something right. i feel like they don't right you know, yeah no, like that be, they betrayed by them yeah. but I, I, to be honest with you i don't think people have people still have ownership but it, it's it's got a different um i think there's a different currency yeah it's a, you know i am mean, gonna stay with that analogy of ownership But there's a different type of of uh, ownership that you feel and it, it, it must happen More rapidly, but also way more publicly, because you know, there's, you know, you can't be surprised as you used to be when, when, you know, a band, you find out a band's coming to town and they've jumped two levels of venue and you're like, holy shit, they must be huge now, you know, it's because they weren't, again, you weren't getting radio play. And then ultimately, you know, when REM did get radio play. I don't think it was a resentment. I, I still hold true to this because I remember it from real People time. People were pretty I,
1: avid fans. People were well, yeah. hugely
0: avid fans. But it, it, to me, it wasn't, it wasn't that I lost my baby to you know the, the, the masses. It was that I really didn't think they put out a really good record when they got huge.
1: Right. You know? And that was following Laysworth's pageant. So, I mean, the albums that I think are, you know, to me... And I I totally understand, you know, someone like Christian, where you've heard so many cool bands and so many great sounds. And I think that is one of the things that, like, I remember, you know, like I said, just sort of, you know, we watched MTV all day. It was like glued to it and it was shit, 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 shit. And then, you know, I know it's not your favorite song, but it's a song that, like, I just knew was different. Um, You know, it's the end of the world as we know it. And it's not that I think that song is great or anything like that, and it's definitely not as good as when I went back in time with R.E.M., but you just knew that this was this is something different than everything else they play yeah. all, all day, including the video and including everything else. Um, so let's should we talk about R.E.M. getting big, take a break and talk about U2, or do you want to kind of jump into U2 here?
0: Tonight? Well, I just wanted to, you know, I think U2 has become such a, uh, you know, uh, f- fire-breathing beast over the past, right. you know, fifth. Forty years that it's hard to remember that they were that they emerged from
1: somewhere. But they played ever. their first show in um, America was it the Paradise down the down yeah. the road from where we're recording yeah. tonight. I Man, they played in Boston, U-
0: UMass Amherst that tour. Yeah, and,
1: um, you know it was
0: a it was a band that built and you know particularly in Boston obviously has a soft spot. It's an Irish band, um, so you know they've always been huge here. But you know there was a time when when U two was um, you know when. Bono's will and and talent and charisma actually achieved that success rather than just you know you know rode on top of it and, and met world leaders because of it you know there was he was a young guy once and, and that band was very young when they came out yeah. and they're you know I mean as you can I mean as you know evidenced by the fact that you know the math didn't get expedited there they still throw a pretty damn good rock concert when they when they play and they're you know they've moved on to other things. But um, you know they have had they had a really interesting career so I I think um, you know what we're sticking to tonight is sort of uh, what I've uh, subtitled REM and U2 uh, the Cold War years <laughs> eighty to ninety two so um, let's take a let's take a quick break and we'll come back and we will chart the album course through those uh, through those twelve years.
1: Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother pod, and uh, tonight it's just Windham and I, and we're uh, feeling nostalgic without young Christian around to keep us hip, and we're going back to an earlier time where it was uh, much harder to find your favorite record and your favorite band, and we're talking about U2 and R.E.M., two bands that Christian grew up as as mega bands and that we... has been, (laughs) though. Yeah, and and pretty much on the the, uh, senior tour. And we, you know, Wayne and I sort of were bands that kind of helped blossom kind of our musical taste and, and, you know, really kind of shaped and were a soundtrack, really, for a lot of years. Um... So we're going to talk a little bit about the albums, the pace of albums back then, and uh, the Cold War that we had between uh, Ireland and the in uni- and, and Georgia, <laughs> yeah, the state exactly. of Georgia.
0: No, I, it, it's funny when I looked back because I, I did, you know, I have to double check the discography because, like, you know, we always talk about the sort of compression of timeline and and how you know things get jumbled in your head. And I I remember things, you know, I guess they. You know, they sort of came out when I thought they came out, but there was... Should we grade
1: these albums, too, just for the yeah, fun of it? Yeah, what the hell? Oh, why
0: not? Um, well, <clears throat> we'll start off because uh, 1980 and 1981 both belong solely to you 2 R.E.M. was still rehearsing in a, in a in you know, a dorm barn. room <laughs> Yeah, yeah, in some
1: cow pasture somewhere in, in uh, Georgia. But um, 1980's Boy. Um, and Boy is an album. I mean, so Boy is, you know, it's funny, and I, I will admit... That you know, I know you two, I know albums by you two, but uh, and like REM, I got into the you know, sort of Josh Petrie slash Rock Tongue Baby years of, of um, U2. you came U2. in mid career, yeah. I came in mid career probably of REM too, but I went back and sort of mined those earlier albums. Like, is Boy a, a solid Boy in October? Are those like grade wise? What would you put those at? I would put them
0: in retrospect compared to the rest of their catalog you Know the sort of B category, yeah. but I would also, uh, compared to everyone else's category, you know, like, it's a yeah. solid so, one two punch. I will follow as a, as a lead off single from my I still first think it's album. one of their best songs, <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be their best song, especially um,
1: the actual album version with the spoons, yeah. And
0: you know, then you had know, Twilight, and there's a couple other really good songs on that, but um, you know, it was a it was a uneven but very, you know, very solid album and a good rock album, and you could tell. You know, I remember uh, fantasizing about being interviewed for my guitar prowess, which I've never played. <laughs> Your air guitar um, prowess, and um, you know, it's the thing. Like, oh, I'm going to be outside the be outside the box and be like, "Yeah, the guy from U two really influenced me." <laughs> but he did sound. I mean, right off the bat, The Edge. Um, people who are guitar aficionados will tell you that The Edge is not as talented as you know. Who knows who you know? Yeah, right. I mean, but um, even in terms of rock guitar players, you know, he's no Jimmy Page, he's no blah blah blah. But I will tell you what, the guy invented a sound and like a Johnny know, Marr. Or you know like when a, it's yeah. a, you know when it's an edge song. You know when it's a, a U two tune. I mean, his 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 guitar tone is his. His guitar sounds are his, and it his riffs are his. You know, I mean, there's yeah, no, there's no second player
1: in the And thing. there's no shortage of them I mean, either. Bono wears a guitar occasionally. But <laughs> Yeah. An acoustic guitar and a ponytail every once in a
0: while. Yeah, I mean, but it was, it was a, you know, and then the chronology, as it were, is kind of funny too because with with um, U2, I mean, I think with U2, it sort of, it it ebbs and flows in terms of the way you felt about that band because they were so present. And with R.E.M., it was sort of a build, 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 yeah. fall off cliff. And um, so we'll get to 82, and again, you know, the... The uh, chronology of, of which albums came out first is, is kind of, um, you know, in terms of the two bands, is kind of interesting. Uh, Chronic Town came out in 82, to very little fanfare outside of um, southeastern college students. Uh, but it was it landed in my house as a result of the fact that our sister was a southeastern college student. <laughs> and, um, you know, my other friend's brother went to uh, Princeton, I think, and, and, you know, they were a big hit and sort of, you know fancier ivy leagues where you know college radio mattered um so
1: and T- Town yielding i think one of the best intro singles you know just like i will follow i mean gardening at night is just a you hear that today and it's just a great song it's
0: also a you know. definite you know defining
1: <clears throat> and it's a sound again yeah. just like uh, edge has a sound i think peter, peter buck. buck very much had a sound and then to your point you know it's, it's kind of a mix of sort of a little bit of Southern, a little bit of power pop, a little bit of that, you know, California. petty jangle, California, yeah, birdsy jangle, but right away you hear it. But what it
0: was, was it was basically a sped up picking of a Rickenbacker, yeah. and it, it was uh, distinctive. It felt like he invented it, because I really hadn't heard it that much before. I mean, you heard songs like Mr. Tambourine Man by, uh, you know, the birds and, and Roger McGuinn was a phenomenal guitar player, but... Peter Buck took that, played it faster, and so the and the band was had a more powerful rhythm section, and so it, it wasn't uh, the guitar out on its own. It was the guitar as uh, part of a unit. There isn't, you know, you you can identify uh, Peter Buck's guitar style, but that it's an REM sound. It's, it's a, and the band was really. Both uh, bands, a, three
1: ds cool, that plays, you know.
0: But whereas, like, Bono was a front man and yeah. Bono was the star. It's like, yeah, I mean, you M. might as well
1: stuck Michael Stipe early on, especially behind the stage. REM was a collective. <laughs> yeah, you they know, were a you band. Knew,
0: yeah. You, you kind of knew the names by reading the liner notes, but, yeah. um, you know, they purposefully never put photos, like I said, yeah. um, probably in their best interest. They didn't mm-hmm. like to appear in videos. They, you know, they were a little bit reclusive. When you saw pictures of them, they were pretty staged and arty, yeah. and um, so it was a, you know, a, a regular guy band, and and not a regular and, you know, I mean, the Talking Heads were the other contemporary band at that time, which I thought of as, like, a very regular guy-looking band Right. But they were all art students and so... Yeah, that, it, was it was very arty music It was very art-directed yeah. Yeah. Their, their foot, you know, the photography yeah, of the bands and, and anything that represented the band's image was yeah. very, like, striking and arty This was kind of, eh, like... Yeah. I, let's put a piece it was imagery of, let's put a piece of I mean let's put a picture of kudzo yeah. on the front of murmur and right. you know sort of roots yeah. in the ground and you know there was the rest were sort of illustrations after that um, you get to 83 and that's u two's you know wow. semi big breakup breakout sorry they uh, you know, that's when they jumped from kind of they were this was burgeoning
1: arena. Music. This, this is fun. when they did the Under the Red Blood Sky tour, Blood which was Red a live Sky. album, yeah. Blood Red Sky. And then, uh, <clears throat> I mean, Sunday Bloody Sunday, New An- Year's An- Day. But how big were those, like, I mean, I remember those videos. And you two, on the other hand, was very much a part of their videos. Yeah. Staying in snowy fields and, like, uh, you know, military gear. But, um, but like, were those, songs? I mean, was New Year's Day a pretty decent hit? They were big. Yeah, okay. So those they were, were
0: And people started to realize that they were going to get big. Yeah. And they were going to be big, like Stones big, not yeah. just like yeah. These guys are got something going yeah. on here. Yeah, this wasn't going to be, you know. What label
1: were they on? Were they Island? Island? They That's were, right. Uh, yeah, the right. Yeah, Chris Blackwell.
0: And um, you know the band, the the label that that introduced Bob Marley, Marley to yeah. the world, and the you know label that. Um, you know, had a lot, took some chances. You know, they were a major, major funded label, but almost like a Richard Branson type where he, you know, he, he went out
1: on a limb on some things. And, and this was the political stance all of a sudden. I mean, I guess they'd always had a bit of a political bent and sort of righteousness, but this was a very political There album. was this, I mean,
0: there was the defining moment where you saw, you know, after, um, you know, Sunday Bloody Sunday, which is a, a very political song, there uh you know, you, you had the under the blood red sky video of red uh, Rocks. shot at Red Rocks in, in Colorado of Bono walking the in you know sort of iconic white flag yeah. with his iconic black mullet. Is not a and, song. <laughs> yeah and his intro to the song. And it you know, I mean, that stuff is so it's pretty ingrained great. in your head <laughs> yeah. now. But that was again, that was new at one point. Yeah, right. That was, yeah. and that was fresh at one point. And the clash had just broken up and, right. and the clash were never um, they were never. They never wanted to be. They they had ambition to be very popular, which yeah. has come out in years since. Right. But they definitely right. played it off as if they didn't give a shit about yeah. popularity and record sales and the industry and fuck them. Yeah, you know. Uh, whereas
1: you two, you two wanted to be. They wanted to run, the rule the world. Yeah. yeah, and they wanted, but they had a mission as well. And then you had Murmur come out at the same year, which, which I mean, Radio Free Europe, not a hit. T- not, you never heard it,
0: you didn't see it on uh, TV, but you read about it in every magazine. Okay, so they were
1: the sort of, like, every, you know, music spread, fanzine, like, you every, know, Rolling Stone.
0: Every rock critic is a yeah. dork. Right. And every <laughs> dork liked R.E.M., yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And felt that they were their people, because they were not rock stars, they were. Well, and
1: also, I think they weren't, and at the time we've talked about this a lot, where punk sort of encompassed a bigger world back then. And we've kind of narrowed it down to, you know, spiky hair and aggressive slam dancing. But in reality, they weren't aggressive either. It was like, very accessible music for... I mean, more accessible music, I guess. Yeah, exactly.
0: But it was 60s-infused mm-hmm. pop, and they were humble. Yeah. Their lack of image wasn't seen as a detriment. It was seen as a positive. Right. These are humble guys that are that just want to play the music. They don't care about the image. Yeah. And MTV is burgeoning, and, and people still really don't like MTV. Yeah. I mean, you know... Yeah, there's people who refuse to make you, videos. You know, there's... I mean, The Replacements put out an album. Then I mean, the a record the next year called Let It Be, and had a song called Senior Video, which was yeah. a very disparaging. Senior right. Video, your phony rock and roll. Yeah, people were still fighting against videos. I mean, and oddly enough, he's become an iconic video, um, mm. you know, star, a, a, a iconic maker of videos. Are, uh, but Tom Petty was famously right. like, "Fuck videos, I'm not yeah. doing them." Uh, and then they were like, "Yeah, you are." <laughs> um, and so, you know, somebody who is, is, is as famous for his videos as he is for his songs was was like, "No, I'm not yeah, doing." Yeah, you are not going to do it. And REM was tried to again, very um, camera shy. Yeah. And
1: um, you know, so I think with War and Murmur, I'd give Murmur an A plus. I think it's a great album. It is. And uh, War, I would give a B plus again.
0: Yeah, but war, um, you know, some people would, will... We'll give it an A+. Plus. Yeah, yeah no,
1: I it. mean, I'll, I'll go A- on war. Um,
0: 84 brings us Unforgettable Fire. So, U2 jumps into the
1: footballer. Yeah, right? exactly. And this is an interesting gap, too. Live Aid, obviously. This was the year of Live uh, Aid. 85 was mm-hmm. Live Aid. Okay, but this album was their album for... Correct. Um, but I think the other interesting thing is here, too. I think for us, this is a fall-off period. This is where U2 jumps up. And then you know REM is consistently kind of building, building. yeah, building, it's still building. Um, and you had Reckoning, which is actually my favorite REM album. I love Reckoning. Yeah, I do too.
0: And it's a you know it's a it's a little bit of a cleaner sound. They're starting to you're starting to be able to at least understand the choruses.
1: Yeah, you know of these songs. <laughs> yeah, no, um, you can actually understand. You you can understand
0: a couple words. Not in, sure what the, they mean, but yeah, yeah, it's it's all very sort of um, and
1: has I think the most beautiful song they ever written and even if you hate R.E.M. talking to you Christian Fall on, you can't deny the, oh, the beauty of Fall on Me you know that's,
0: yeah I mean but R.E.M. was that uh, but the the um the reckoning was South Central Rain yeah um, Seven Chinese Brothers Camera Don't Go Back to Rock Pretty pro, Persuasion Pretty Persuasion I mean Harbor Coat it was uh, and it was on you know I think I was learning to drive that year yeah. so uh, it was in my cassette deck on
1: auto reverse if they had auto reverse yet uh, I think I stole it from the public library in <laughs> <laughs> junior high and on the other side Unforgettable Fire which was huge I mean you have songs like they're a great song I love the song Unforgettable Fire and I actually think it's a really U2 it kind of nails all the things U2 do really well which is kind of not much melody and then into a, a really awesome chorus you know that has a lot of catchiness and then Bad is obviously you know uh, a, a huge hit that they play all. they still, still close with that. all yeah, the yeah it's a man. great song um, and pride, the name of love, would be in the hit off of that, which is not not my favorite, favorite but you know,
0: uh, you know it, it's again iconic and, and political. Yeah. I mean for what it's worth in 1984, um, you got '85. u two takes a, a year off finally, and Fables of the Reconstruction. Oh, they, they had a big big year coming up, so they're they've, we're
1: going to hold out. They're on the bench.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, they are on the bench, but they are they are hydrating like a yeah. motherfucker. <laughs> um, uh, Fame's of Reconstruction, which is your one of your favorites, but yeah. Driver Eight, well, Driver
1: Eight's, yeah, I mean that is one of my favorite all time favorite REM songs again, too. So, and then the next year, REM continues a, a, a
0: you know sort of critical climb and hasn't released a single dud yet. They come out with Life's Rich Pageant, which has Follow Me, Superman, um, and um, you know people love this album, um, and it's like wow, they are you know they are batting a thousand. Oh. They have not. They haven't hit a road bump.
1: Um, and I'll correct myself. I threw fall on me way early there. So sorry about that. Yeah, Life right. Church pageant. Yeah, no, you're right. And that that song that song is to me perfection. You know.
0: And see, and then so '87 comes around, and the world comes to a screeching halt because Joshua Tree comes out, and yeah, it is it's massive. makes them the biggest
1: band. In the yeah. World. So I mean. Still, you have 86, you have Life's Roots pageant, you have songs like, you know, Follow Me with R.E.M., things like that. They're still not big, though. There's no... I mean, they're playing maybe theaters. Uh, Follow Me, theaters.
0: MTV play. Yeah. yeah, they're playing theaters. Um, college yeah. hockey arenas. Right, like, yeah. Like, not, not, you know...
1: Not, not selling out everywhere they yeah. play, but not not playing lectures. But But Meanwhile, a- you know, uh, we're talking post... This is post-85, so uh, R.E.M. made another huge... R.E.M., I mean, sorry, You 2 also always took advantage of any chance they had to be on camera. And they killed it at Live Aid in 85. 85. Yeah. I mean, it they was like it. one of the best performances, you know, of that whole it concert was, series. It was the coming out party. I think... His know, mullet had grown a couple inches longer.
0: Yeah, it was, I mean, it was it was full on horsetail. <laughs> um, and it was, it was...
1: Definitely a party in the back. <laughs> <going on there. laughs>
0: oh, yeah. But the, the the thing is, is that there was... You know, the Live Aid, uh, if you don't recall, was the benefit f- uh, tied to African famine put on by Bob Geldof. Um, it was a big fucking deal. It was, deal. A big deal. Yeah, it was televised without commercials all day on yeah. national television. Yep. Uh, one uh, state, one stage was in Philadelphia at Veterans Stadium. One. You was never will understand
1: that one. Still, I, but. I
0: don't. I think <laughs> every stadium in New York is booked. Yeah. And then one was London. Um, yep. Wembley and uh, Lisa, our stepsister, was there. Yeah. Um, I so a Live Aid t shirt. One of these days, we should go through a Live Aid roster and just figure should. out who shouldn't be there. Yeah, and
1: know. then also talk about the two classics: uh, the American, you know, Live Aid tribute song, and the uh, and the English one.
0: Yeah, but well, yeah, <clears> but, so the big, you know, the, the things that are most indelible from Live Aid are. Um, other than Princess Diana's appearance, um, U2's yeah. set, which was the coming, it was their, it yeah, was their taking over the they took very world.
1: serious, they were, they, they were on kn-
0: fire. They knew, they knew they had their moment to, yeah. to become the biggest man in the world, they became the biggest band in the world, yeah. and basically Freddie Mercury's Farewell, right. which nobody knew was Freddie Mercury's right. Farewell at the time. Um. And R.E.M. did not play live. it did not, I don't <laughs> think they did. No. Yeah, the Hooters did. Yeah. Um. But, uh, so that was, and so basically you're, you're getting this, uh, transcendence of you 2 into becoming, um, massive and at the same year document by R.E.M. drops, which gives them their first major yeah, radio hit. Yeah, and that
1: was a huge radio hit. I mean, at that time, you know, we listened to the radio all the time and that was on, that chose. both the video and the the pop radio stations played that all the time.
0: So basically, you know, I believe it was their first album on Warner Brothers, Warner Brother Brothers I think no. Green might have been their first album. on Warner Brothers it was the last Doctrine album on IRS and it, but there was there was a push to make yeah. them big and in the same way that In the Name of Love made you too big and I Love You Too but I don't like that song R.E.M. got huge on this one Goes yeah, the one I love which is I think one of their lesser songs
1: it's yeah like, I would say for a band that put out so many good songs prior and I get why a lot of those songs weren't hits oh yeah I never understood why this one was a hit yeah because it doesn't even have I mean I totally understand why Pride in the Name of Love is a hit because that's a it takes everything you 2 does and elevates it into a yeah. very like radio friendly great song I, you know not my favorite either but like the I one think, I love, I just never I think it's understood. Pure yeah. Industry
0: engineering, yeah. I think it was. They their played time. it all the time. They knew they were yeah. going to be big. It has a riff, I and guess, it gets, and it got beaten yeah. into your into people's heads, and people, you know, love it. And and a. You know the same way they love you know Sweet Home Alabama, but Sweet Home Alabama is great. <laughs> yeah. And the one I love is is uh, hey, okay. to me the signal the the signal that this band is is uh, well. No and a couple of things
1: valuable. happened too. I think where you two had kind of crafted their their sound and their their kind of stadium you know sort of stadium That's, presence early. I think REM cleaned up their sound a lot by the time Document came around and sort of got a little more. Um, a little more guitar forward, a little more, you know, sort of up front. Super produced, yeah, exactly. They
0: were produced like, yeah, a, a massive, towering, Steve Lillywhite style, right. you know, are, you know, arena band. Yeah, um, and it was, I think, to their detriment. Um, but you know, everybody grows up in a different way,
1: and uh, and Joshua Tree, on the other hand, you know, and it's funny, I, you know, so one of the things, just a kind of float back I was obviously pretty young when this was all going on like these are my sort of burgeoning junior high years and elementary school years but I just I hated the look of REM at that time because I just hated long hair hippies you too? oh you too sorry and uh and it was you know one of those things that like Joshua Tree I was just like Ugh, these guys are such hippies now and it was like they just didn't look cool to me anymore yeah. not that the mullet was ever cool but there was at least something to be said you know with that and You go back, though, and Joshua Tree really is like, I mean, it's like Led Zeppelin II or something. It's just an amazing album. Beatles, you know?
0: Ever-present. And it also, but it was uh,
1: a time at which... Time magazine.
0: The the band was getting um, tired and overexposed and just too too full of themselves. I mean, you know, Bono started off... Uh, saying, I'm going to be the biggest rock star in the world. He became the biggest rock star in the world. And then where do you go from there? Yeah. You either implode or you change. Right. And, you know, we'll get to that in a little bit. But um, Green came out that year. To me, unremarkable, but it became, I'm sorry, Green came out the following year. So, well, uh, 1988, Green comes out. That becomes the thing that. That's really launched REM. Yeah, R- yeah. And I think some of their work. That was their songs. first Warner Brothers. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I can't. I can't even say that I've uh, like gone back and ever given Green a full spin again. Like a fair shake. But it was. Um, and what was the big head? Orange hey? it was, Crush. Yep. Um, not a
0: great song. Uh, pop song eighty nine or pop. Yeah, it was it pop, pop song eighty nine? Yep. Um,
1: shiny happy people. Yep. Which for shiny happy people became? Which was kind. Of, I mean, not horrible, but annoying, and you it know, like annoying. yeah, it was really annoying.
0: And um, you know, so. R.E.M. decides to go, you know, stratospheric on purpose. Uh, I think a little too big for their own um, style. Comfort zone, yeah. Yeah, they kind of go, you know, they do a little bit of, you know, rock goddom, and, and you know, it's just not, it, to me it doesn't work. They're not like a riff rock band. They were a unit, and then... You know, the same year, 1988, U2 puts out Rattle and Hum, which is just a bridge too far.
1: Yeah, no, that was like, a bridge. That was the bridge <laughs> of nowhere, I believe, that they were trying to build. Yeah. It, um, I mean, and it just, it just... The self-righteousness and the, uh, you know, I, I'll, I had to sit through so many times of when love comes to town with R.E.M. trying to be with B.B. King and just wanting to like... Yeah. Uh, oh, U2. I keep going back to R.E.M., sorry. you too it was painful but I mean, it really felt
0: and you know this is my college it was a throwaway year, my, my freshman year in college um, to me it, it felt like and, and I've heard them since admit it but it felt like oh um, you know let's teach B.B. King about the blues yeah um,
1: let's make Americans appreciate B.B. King yeah
0: that's what it was, <laughs> it was yeah, exactly <laughs> go back to Ireland exactly um, but, uh, which they did or they went to Berlin <laughs> but they, you know, so Rattling Home comes out, there is the first time, for the first time ever, a backlash. Yeah. Um, and people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. This, you know, you two doing a uh, beleaguered, um, we're just regular guys trying yeah. to carve out a, a you know, a Hell path yeah, through the America. Highways of America. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the sort of Jack Kerouac come, like, you know muddy waters thing that they just do extremely poorly um, it really explodes in their face I mean it's, it's now those people remember. were pissed
1: yeah and it was bad I mean it actually has one of their best songs desire
0: there was, there was a corresponding movie which was just so bloated Painful, and yeah I, um, it was
1: rock star it was everything they had railed against for their entire career to a certain degree uh, on film <laughs> they've become the bloat. bloated yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I did later
0: hear, you know, I, I've later heard them, you know, really sort of walk this one back. But at the time, it was, um, you know, a colossally bad idea. I mean, Spinal Tap
1: level bad yeah. idea. Well, let's let's take a quick break. Let's listen to REM's Follow Me because I, I met, name checked it for two albums, and uh, and then let's go into the kind of like sort of end of this era end with both pinnacle. bands, end of the yeah the pinnacle there, and then. You know, we can briefly touch on the fall and then um, go into some of the things we normally go into. What do you say? How about that?
0: Back to the Brother, Brother, Brother pod. Uh, we have reached 1989 and
1: 1990 yes. for R.E.M. and U2. We're into both, the 90s.
0: Both, both of which they sat out. Both of which both bands yeah. sat out. No new music from either band. I think uh, R.E.M. might have put out a B-sides and rarities thing. And, and U2 um, went home to reassess uh, their place in the world. And they realized that they were a bunch of arrogant fucks (laughs) and they moved to Berlin for a little while they enlisted a couple of great producers and they said we gotta change and so in one of the great moves in the history of rock and roll I think one of the best rock and roll moves. yeah I would agree with you I think it's one of the best um, Bono and The Edge and the whole game they cut their fucking ponytails off they (laughs) cut their mullets off they cut their ponytails (laughs) off they cut their cowboy hats off they cut their cowboy (laughs) boots off and they went back and they're like, okay, well, if we're gonna be rock stars, let's be fucking rock stars. Yeah. And they came out in this shiny, sheeny, crazy, like, but with great songs. Yep. An uh, album called "Tongue Baby. Um, you know, they had, they very seriously contemplated and nearly did break up, um, sort of reconciled with their, or divorced their various spouses, um, and came back and were, not apologetic you know a lot of people would have put out a, a, a light a, you know a small acoustic album after yeah. that because there's no way to follow up Josh Trey. Joshua tree but instead they oh, came there is and no, it's, no, it's called on the it blows <laughs> 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 they can't, but they came back and they did a Bowie they yeah. completely reinvented themselves yeah they really did that's a great, uh, and, they great borrowed example. a lot of his you know yeah you know, producers yeah, yeah. Uh, among other things in his and his town yeah where he you know pulled the great uh, Houdini but um you know it came out with I, I think far and away the best album of their
1: career I right? agree I mean I I love Joshua tree in the classic rock sense that it's such a great album but Octung Baby was a huge shift I think a huge you know uh just ability to kind of like not take yourself seriously but even even doing that they actually like to your point, every song that the album's good, like really good. And I remember seeing, you know, The Fly was the first single. Such a departure from what they've been doing. And I mean, you know, you go back and listen now, and sure, it, you know, you've heard those songs a million times, Mysterious Ways, Fly. Uh, one, obviously, has become a, a massive hit. But it was something that, you know, at the time, you know, Bono with, you know, sort of a leather jumpsuit and, and big sort of bug glasses and, and kind of a, a, a more even electronic... Mm -hmm. kind of sound and and guitar riff and they still were able to capture those choruses and the same sort of pop elements that they've always had that has filled stadiums but what a a great departure and at the same time REM in 91 you know after having some success with Green came out with their biggest album ever out of time and really kind of scaled back in terms sonically and wrote what at the time I think they considered their first album of love songs right that was like one of the things that they came out with like songs about you know, love and about like more more sort of straightforward subjects. I wouldn't say that. Well, their first hip hop song. As well. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, Poor Chris one from KRS uh, one from Boogie Down Productions. Yeah, that was a
0: oh. that was a uh, that was a tough uh, one to take. I remember hearing radio, song. and I probably like could
1: that's... never hear "Losing My Religion" again. But it what a massive hit! Yeah, you I mean, know, and the, I mean, that was the one. That and I would say again, like not a traditional, like not a song that you would think. I, at least in my mind, maybe I'm wrong no, here, no. but it's, I mean, it's, it's a not
0: mandolin driven. Exactly, yeah. um, you know. acoustic. You know, and you know you can finally understand every word, or you can you know you yep. understand every word. It's very articulated. The yep. video uh, and video was at its huge. really pinnacle at that point. I yep. mean, "Octagon Baby" and "Out of Time" are both these
1: were huge record
0: label pushes. Yeah, yeah, huge. You know, and you know they were, um, but "Out of Time" again. it's sort of uh, you know it was it was them. Being big, still, I think they had had uh, a couple misses. You know, they they didn't think they'd had misses, but I think Green, um, and Document weren't weren't my favorites. And then out of time was sort of a slight return to form. I mean, songs like Texarkana, Near Wild Heaven, um, you know, sort of took it back to a more intimate place. They weren't stadium band. No, it became a. I mean, they they Others, against yeah, they became, their yeah. you know against their best interest became a stadium band, but. You know, they they sort of scaled it back and, and got a little quieter and a little more introspective again. And
1: it was another thing movie. that critics gave, I think, five stars at the time. I think both these albums were very critically acclaimed, and, and both were huge hits. Um, or, I shouldn't say think, they both were. I think going back to Out of Time, it's a little bit of an inconsistent album with some gems, and then it does have the KRS-One Michael Stipe battle rap, <laughs> which is like... <laughs> yeah yeah. it's the same uh, as like Wyndham and I having a towel fight but um (laughs) but like uh you know we'll forget about that and then I think R.E.M. actually came R.E.M. had one last gasp we know that you two kind of went on and that and I don't mean last gasp as far as career goes but I mean as far as like I think actually a really good album I think maybe their best yeah which was 92 which I've said that about four albums so far
0: yeah. <laughs> well, they have a lot of good albums. Automatic for the people was that. That's when they found their. That's when they yeah. found their spot. That's when they, they learned how to balance. Um, uh, their significant. You know, uh, fame yeah. with their introspective and more personal songwriting, yeah. and it's it, it, again, it's a it's a masterpiece. It, it produced a lot of great songs. You know, "Man on the Moon," "Night Swimming," all these.
1: Yeah, and it was know, a song too that I think the first single was "Crash," which I sort of was like, "Huh?" Yeah, it was,
0: you know, it everybody felt hurts like a David Essex song. Yeah, <laughs> but "Everybody Hurts" was like. I mean, "Everybody Hurts"
1: is a beautiful song it's a beautiful you song know? with a beautiful video yeah exactly and video was king at this particular moment and they made good videos both bands actually at that time made pretty good videos and they were on all the time and michael stipe became a front man yep of suitable measure
0: yep um the rest of the band started you know became very much more performative bigger right. playing to the you know back of the arena um you know the the, the sort of uh um, you know, the, it, but it, it, you didn't know it was R.E.M.'s last great.
1: No, birth. in fact, you thought it was the beginning of more. Of and, and I think too, like Octagon Baby, and you know, I think Wynne and I may be in the minority here, where we felt like R.E.M. kind of fell off and then came back with Automatic for the People. You also had a shift in sound, right? I mean, they became, you know, they aged gracefully at the, mm-hmm. by that time that album came out, and where Octagon Baby. U2 was aging as well but actually took it into a, a sort of more edgier kind of more rock to more sort of bombastic and followed bloated. it up with pop and, yeah. and you know and um, got more adventurous. yeah got more adventurous for a couple albums after that and then you know I think both I think U2 will. will I think they won the Cold War in the end where I think uh, you know they continue to at least put out I think semi-decent a, to very good yeah. albums and, and continue to kind of you know enjoy themselves where R.E.M. Um, you know, I just—I okay. never found that sweet spot again. I mean, okay. I think you said it perfectly. Like they—they they kind of found that blend of like hugeness with their their lyrics and introspectiveness, and they sort of left it as I soon think, as they found I it. I think what
0: happened, and this is you know one person's opinion, but what what happened, I think, is they record Very important automatic person automatic for the people. They record automatic for the people, and Nevermind comes out right true you yeah. too is able to ignore nevermind because you too was, yeah. was transcendent and comfortable yeah. in their own skin yeah. again always were <laughs> um, rem like a lot of bands i mean and a lot of this is the same thing happened in hip-hop uh, around the same time which is you know um you know, N.W.A. came out, and everybody, you know, MC Hammer's putting out his gangster rap. Yeah, album, totally. You know what I mean? Yep. People who have no business putting out gangster right. rap albums start putting out gangster. You know, I mean, even even our, you know, the bands we liked, the Native Tongues guys, started yeah. getting a harder edge. Yeah. And, because you know there was this feeling that you couldn't. You know, you couldn't be your loopy self. Yeah. yeah, and so what happens is, I think REM felt that pressure too, um, and decided to put out. Uh, you know, after Automatic for the People, which was a real triumph, I think. And yeah. really, it's a five like, star album. Found yeah. their, they found their balance, and then they lost their balance yeah. again. You know, they put out Monster, which is you know trying to be is kind of like fuzzy their, guitar and yeah, you know, everything else. It's sort of trying to play to. A trend, and that was so uh, antithetical to who they were and, and what they should have been doing. But it was probably, and probably maybe their biggest
1: album, one of their best sellers. Again, I mean, they were on a streak, and that was the yeah. video era, and they, they kept going, and you know, and then sort of, I think, you know, still were back in stadiums, things like that, but never quite.
0: So know. then, you know, I mean, we can go on and on, but ooh, we're, we're not going to go, go through to the whole album, right? yeah. But you know, uh, they lose a member, um, yeah. you know, Berry has an aneurysm on stage. Um, gets, nearly dies, and decides to retire. And I think
1: that unit, which was, again, such a unit. Two um, bands that, uh, for the most part, I mean, stayed together, yeah. you know, which is pretty I've never had loud. a replacement member. Exactly, um, which is cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, going dating back now 40 years. Yep. Um, so, it, it, you know, give them tip of the hat to both. But um, it was nice to have this conversation yeah. with you, with, uh, with Christian. Exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, I'm sure uh, he'll uh, he'll tweet us or uh, you know talk in our talk back feature about yeah. how uh, how wrong we are. You get trolled. exactly. But yeah. no, I mean two bands that were hugely influential for us, kind of like I said, were soundtracked to our are, are definitely like for you certainly teen and college, and for me kind of like earlier years and teen years. So thank you, REM, and you too. Mm-hmm. I think you're uh, you're pretty great. Yeah. And uh, let's take a break and do what we always do. Okay. place Someone you could land Ahead in return A brother, brother, brother pod. Wynam and I uh just finished up our 80s nostalgia into the early 90s and ended there on REM and U2. And we're gonna do what we always do. Um we end every pod with a uh you know, what are you listening to when? I was gonna ask you the same question, but I guess I'll
0: answer since you asked first. Um, <laughs> I watched Succession. Uh, I watched it start to finish. Um, I took, you know, it took my time watching it uh, because I think I watched the first episode when it came out and watched um, the last episode uh, when it came out. I almost gave up after a couple of episodes. Um, there are certainly things that annoy me about this. I think the writing, the storytelling, all very good. I think their their sense of place was remarkable. Um, you know, I think they got the very wealthy. The, the um you know the the sort of art direction of a very wealthy lifestyle um extremely um, uh, accurately and I think that's unusual um, I think usually it's flashier and and sillier than than what they made it look like this is actually this is this is what very very wealthy people uh, <laughs> look and and, and uh, dress and and live like um, my. I I will I you know this uh, I don't mean to be prudish but I felt like there was ten too many jick, dick jokes per episode. Um, I would have preferred their interaction. Um, you know, had they had they knocked off a you know ten percent of, of um, yeah, I mean ten percent dick is good. And then yeah, <laughs> but I, I did I did really like all the performances. I like the characters. I think it's a really good show. I think it's gonna be a better show almost next year. Um, shout out to my buddy, Arian Moyad, who, uh, is, uh, right. did a great job in it. Um, but, uh, that's, you know, I watched it, I liked it a lot, and I'm really looking forward to it, and I think it's one of the best finales I've seen in a really long time. Um, and the build from, you know, seven eight nine ten 10 were, you know, was, was, um, you know, worth the rocky beginning. Um, that said, I also drove back and forth to New Jersey, um, to uh, And listen to our uh, best of 2018 so far play Great stuff. And there's some great stuff. Yeah. Um, so, uh, some of the top albums that I've been listening to uh, US Girls, who uh, we mentioned, Parquet Quartz's album this year is really great. Um, Ezra Furman is kind of a new discovery for me. I really like
1: Yeah, I like uh, that, that lot. a lot. we were listening to really
0: that last night. Really interesting. Um, so, you know, check that out on our. Uh, Spotify playlist best of two thousand eighteen so far, Um, and I am one hundred percent in on Daytona being in
1: my top ten at the end of the year because that album really grew on me. I think it's yeah one of the best hip hop albums. Pusha T ever, Uh, not ever. Sorry, this year by far, and then definitely uh, I think the best thing out of the uh, you know sort of slew of things that Kanye touched and released this year. But you know, it definitely has the most fun and the most uh, you know sort of Kanye esque vintage Kanye esque beats. Um, I am going to be super lame because I have uh, started a new job recently and have been completely uh, taken over by organic bone broth and other uh, other food items, but I did have the ability to finally watch some baseball this weekend, and so I'm just going to say, in other arms races, Boston kicked the shit out of (laughs) New York. And uh, had a nice sweep, and I like haven't watched baseball for a little while because I just haven't had time, and uh, it was great. It's it was fun. fun, definitely.
0: It's a quality team. So you want to put a uh, another song on the fifty-four million? Yeah, I do. Um, ten best. Songs you want to go first? That? You want me to go first? Um, I'll go first because sure. uh, I I've, I was shocked that this wasn't on our top ten list already. Go for it's it. Jamie XX's Loud Places. Yeah,
1: love that song. Like one of the best. I think one of the best singles in the last five years by far. We do call almost like every other thing the best, but that's because yeah. we only like the best. <laughs> um, I'm actually going to go with, and I believe today, the day that we're recording this, is actually Elliot Smith, would have been Elliot Smith's Smith's birthday, and, um, uh, you know, um, Dearly Departed Elliot. And uh, I was a huge fan, and I actually, the song that I, I throw on the most playlists and mixes is actually Baby Britain. Like so I think it's a great pop song, kind of like totally uh, nails his sort of obsession with the Beatles and, uh, and great lyrics as well. So I'm going to go yeah, with that. I will be at his alma mater at Hampshire
0: College this week. So Nice. I will uh, we'll talk soon. And um, thank you, R.E.M., and you too. And, and uh, see you when you are able to defend yourself, Christian. <laughs> I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.